Broken lives, broken dreams. How can we build a better life for ourselves and our families? Ask Nehemiah, God's man to rebuild the broken walls around the holy city, Jerusalem. What was the secret to Nehemiah's success? Well, Nehemiah was a man of prayer, a man with a plan, and a leader that prioritized people who were essential to the task of building a better life. He was also persistent in the face of much opposition. Nehemiah modeled a healthy balance between praying, planning, trusting God, and taking bold action. Samuel Chadwick might have been thinking about Nehemiah when he prayed, O oh Lord, make us intensely spiritual, but keep us perfectly natural and thoroughly practical. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Rebuilding your spiritual walls on today's Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Hi, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for stopping by. Well, the book of Nehemiah tells the story of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, but it also shows us how to rebuild and restore the broken places in our own hearts and minds. That's where we're headed next as Ron continues his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Stay with us now or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, make sure you check out our digital library where Ron uses his 30 years of Bible teaching ministry to answer some of your toughest questions. Now here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, Building a Better Life. Build back better. Boy, where have we heard that? It was the campaign slogan that uh, Joe Biden used to run for president um, in 2020. Uh, political campaigns and slogans are what they are. Some are better than others. All reflect a candidate's attempt to separate himself from others who are running from the same office and oftentimes to separate himself or herself from the previous person who held that office. Uh, slogans are what they, what they are. When I read the book of Nehemiah and I know what God used Nehemiah to do as, um, as a leader and the politics involved with it centuries ago in Jerusalem, I, I'm thankful that Nehemiah didn't use a campaign slogan when he returned to Jerusalem in 444 BC to rebuild the wall of the holy city. However, uh, you get the sense that build back better might have been a good theme, or better yet, building a better life. That was, that was my uh, title to this book and the theme of this book long before the presidential campaign. And I kind of like that better because building a better life captures the essence of what the Lord called Nehemiah to do at a very important time in Old Testament history when the physical wall of Jerusalem lay in ruins, leaving those Jewish exiles who had returned vulnerable to their enemies. Understand that in ancient times, the wall around the city protected the people. Uh, and broken walls left the inhabitants of the city uh, vulnerable. Uh, but th this is not just a history lesson. You know, the Bible is, um, is God's truth for everyday life. And it occurred to me that maybe like the broken, dilapidated walls of the holy city, Perhaps somebody's here today saying, my life is in a pile of ruins and rubble, and my heart is filled with despair. Uh, like 
the despair that filled the exiles' hearts as they looked at their broken city. And if that's the case, Nehemiah's story, which is part of God's story, uh, will inspire you to build a better life with divine help and to face your future with, with, with hope. And I, I trust that that is uh, how God uses the book of Nehemiah in your life as he has in my life. Let's begin by understanding who Nehemiah is and how he fits and this book by his name fits into the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Nehemiah is a contemporary of Ezra. We, we met Ezra last week through the book of Ezra. And Nehemiah served as cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. Persia is modern day Iran. As cupbearer, Nehemiah earned the king's trust by testing the royal wine and uh, making sure there was no poison in it before you served it to the royal family and their guests. It was a very important uh, position. Nehemiah was living in the citadel of Susa, which was the capital city of the Persian Empire, and uh, he was in the location of the royal palace when we meet Nehemiah in chapter one, and when his brother comes to him, his brother travels all the way to the citadel of Susa to bring Nehemiah some disturbing news about the Jewish uh, exiles who had, had survived the, the exile and had already returned to Jerusalem. Chapter 1 and verse 3, um, Nehemiah's brother says, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And right off the bat, as we're reading Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah receives this news, understand the context that he is in, and the news dislocates his heart. Nehemiah was simultaneously living in the citadel of Susa, the, the Persian capital, a uh, day's journey from Jerusalem. He was living in Susa, but his heart was in Jerusalem. And when he received the news, the Bible tells us that for days, he mourned and he fasted and prayed until, until one day King Artaxerxes asked him why his otherwise jolly cupbearer was so sad. You gotta understand that in those days, the cupbearer to the king was a very important uh, government position. It was a trusted position with the king and, and it was wrong for the cupbearer to ever appear anything less than happy and jolly in front of the king. And so Nehemiah was taking a huge risk by appearing sad in the king's presence, let alone by sharing with him what was on his heart about the broken wall of Jerusalem in the holy city. And that's why in chapter 2 and verse 2 it says, as Nehemiah began to share with what was on his heart, Nehemiah said, then I was very much afraid. He didn't know what kind of reaction was going to come from the king. But his deep concern for the welfare of his people and the holy city led him to cast aside his fears, to put his trust in God, and for Nehemiah to take bold action. And that's one of the things that's always attracted me to the book of Nehemiah and to his leadership. He is a man of bold, bold action, as uh, we'll see for a moment. And he, he shared his heart with the king, and upon receiving permission from the king, Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem with a plan that God birthed in his heart to rebuild the holy city 
and the walls around it to restore the people. This was no small task. This was a monumental task to rebuild all the wall around the holy city of Jerusalem. That wall had been laying in ruins and in rubble now for centuries, ever since Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came to Jerusalem and besieged the city and destroyed the temple. They they destroyed the wall as well, that, that protective wall. In the face of great opposition, though, Nehemiah completed the reconstruction project in 52 days, the Bible says. What an amazing accomplishment. It was a miracle of God that they had completed the project in 52 days, and and, and it was a kind of project miracle that his enemies, the enemies of uh, Israel, had to acknowledge, and, and they did. Now, the revival of the people living within the walls of Jerusalem took much longer and required the commitment of Nehemiah's life and leadership. And and, and the latter part of the book is all about Nehemiah who governed the city after this. And there are so many life and leadership lessons that we learn from the book of Nehemiah. This is just one of the fabulous, fabulous books in the Old Testament. Let me add a little bit more historical perspective. Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem in uh, 445 B.C., 12 years after Ezra returned, and 90 years after Zerubbabel returned with, you know, the first round of exiles, which numbered about uh, uh, 50,000, as we learned last time. By then, uh, most, including Zerubbabel, had died, and a new generation had taken their place. But something else is happening here with the decree of King Artaxerxes that gave Nehemiah permission to come back to Jerusalem. Something prophetic in nature was happening. And this marks the beginning of Daniel's 70 weeks. (laughs) A prophecy in the book of Daniel found in chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, which is one of the most breathtaking, panoramic Bible prophecies in the text of Scripture that begins with the decree of King Artaxerxes to say to Nehemiah, go back to Jerusalem and build the wall. From that time forward, 70 weeks of prophecy, a a prophetic week is, is seven years. 490 years of prophecy were laid out. Uh, The first 69 weeks were fulfilled at the coming of of Christ on the day of, um, of Palm Sunday. We are living in the pause between the 69th and the 70th week. The 70th week is uh, the seven-year tribulation period. But Nehemiah, his return to Jerusalem, began the prophetic clock, and that clock is still ticking today as we await the uh, the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, God is always up to something more than we can imagine, isn't he? And you got to understand that, that the whole context of Nehemiah, not just presently for their times, but prophetically as it began uh, the clock toward the end of the age. Uh, a big question for us, though, today is how can we build a better life for us and for our families? What can we learn from Nehemiah? He models for us the need for prayer, planning, people, and persistence. Sorry for the peas. It just worked out that way, but you, but you won't forget it, right? You'll, this will be real memorable for you to write it down.
Up next, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today's teaching comes from Ron's monumental series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Watch or listen to the entire series at your convenience in the Something Good digital library at somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, you can also download Ron's sermon notes for today's message. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Whenever you stop by, you're invited to share your prayer request with us. Use the Explore feature at the top of the homepage where you'll find the How Can We Pray For You option. Our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer, so contact us anytime. Nehemiah was a man with a plan, but he was also a man of prayer. It takes both to build a protective wall around the city or around our hearts and minds. Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Nehemiah, Building a Better Life. Let's begin with with prayer. Uh, Building a better life requires prayer, and Nehemiah was a man of prayer. In fact, his nickname, for as long as I can remember, is Nehemiah, because this guy is always on his knees, as it were, before God. Just studying the prayer life of Nehemiah is is, uh, challenging enough. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 sets the tone for the priority of prayer in this book and in Nehemiah's life and leadership. In fact, uh, nearly the entire first chapter is given to the prayer that Nehemiah prayed upon hearing the news from his brother about the condition of the exiles in Jerusalem. I jotted this down this week. Read a man's prayers and you get some sense of how his heart beats. And you get that sense when you read Nehemiah's prayer. Let's do that together in Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, these words from his brother about the conditions in Jerusalem, Nehemiah says, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, listen to this, O Lord God of heaven, The great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are faithful, I will, or rather unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, uh, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let, not, let your heart, or rather, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. What a prayer this is. And then chapter one ends with Nehemiah just jotting down in his journal, now I was cupbearer to the king. I wish I could take the time to just unpack this prayer and just peek inside in detail into the heart of Nehemiah, but you get some sense of any person's heartbeat 
as you hear them pray or read their prayers. Shortly thereafter, Nehemiah found himself in the presence of the king, and Artaxerxes inquired about uh, why his cupbearer was so sad. And Nehemiah uh, stepped out in a little bit of faith there, and uh, he listened, uh, shared his heart, and, and, and the king listened to his concern, and the king came back and said, uh, what is it you want? <laughs> and I almost pictured Nehemiah's jaw dropping. Can you imagine the wide open door that was before Nehemiah? The king was asking me what I wanted and what I needed. And before Nehemiah charged through that open door, you know what he did? Come on, you can guess. He prayed. This is Nehemiah. He says in chapter 2 and verse 4, Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, did Nehemiah say, Excuse me, king, i got to run to my prayer closet. I'll, I'll be back in just a few minutes. No, he didn't do that. Did Nehemiah say, excuse me, king, while I get down on my knees here and pray to God? No, he didn't do that. What he did was he just paused in his spirit before the next thing he said to the king and just shot up one of those quiet prayers. And Nehemiah, in this way, models for us how to pray on the run. <laughs> you know, as you're walking into the customer's office, you know, and you got a big business deal you need to present, or, or you're walking into the hospital, and, you know, you, you don't have time to get down on your knee. You just fire up one of those uh, arrow prayers. The Apostle Paul said in the New Testament to pray without ceasing. And, and, and Nehemiah, long before Paul comes along, models that for us. He's a man of prayer. We're going to find out he, he's a man who plans as well. And he is, he is a leader and an administrator, and boy, he's all over the task, but he saturates everything in prayer. There's much more uh, in the book uh, where we could um, land upon Nehemiah's prayer life, but he models for us how prayer demonstrates our dependence upon God as we're building a better life. You may find yourself in ruins today. Listen, however you build a better life and a better future, you can't do it by yourself. Maybe because you've been relying upon yourself all this time and your best wisdom and your best plans, it got, to, got you to where you are today. Now it's time to, to bring it before the Lord and to follow Nehemiah's example. He, he prays uh, regularly. Secondly, uh, Nehemiah was also a, a man with a plan. Building a better life requires planning. His leadership and administrative skills are quite impressive. Uh, for example, before he leaves the, the palace with the royal permission that he needed to go back to Jerusalem, uh, he possessed, uh, I'll just say, the clarity of mind to request two things from the king. One was security for the long and dangerous you know, journey from the citadel of Susa all the way back you know, to Jerusalem. And then he also requested the building supplies that he needed. You want to talk about a bold request for the king? But the king opened the door, right? And, and, and Nehemiah, you know, he, he, he made the request, but um, not, not before he prayed. You know, Lord, um, give me favor here. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 7 details a story. It says, I also said to him, if it pleases the king... 
May I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. He even requested the building supplies to build a house for himself for the time that he was there. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me. I always love how Nehemiah gives credit where credit is due, first with the Lord. He says, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. The king just tossed in some extra there. Isn't that the way God does it? You know, when we seek him first, he gives us everything we need all the supplies, supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, and even then some, even that which we didn't ask or even imagine. Clearly, Nehemiah had already been formulating a plan in his mind since his brother first briefed him on the conditions in Jerusalem, and he had done some homework. He was prepared to make the request when the opportunity presented itself, but there's even more to Nehemiah's um, skillful abilities as, as a planner and a leader and administrator. Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem uh, sort of under the radar. Uh, the Bible tells us in chapter two that after three days of being in Jerusalem, he, he set out at night to survey the city walls. And he took only a few trusted people with him. And even then, he didn't tell them all that was in his heart. And he uh, mounted up on his horse at night rather surreptitiously, quietly, behind the scenes, under the radar, nobody really knowing why he was there or what he was doing. And he surveyed the walls. It took him a while to get around all the, the rubble. Uh, the next day, it says that he met with the nobles and the officials, and it was the first time he shared what God had put on his heart. Chapter two, you see the trouble we are in, he says. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And then Nehemiah gives credit to God who had already shown him favor. Every leader has to uh, receive what the Lord has put on their heart, but be careful. Be careful about how quickly you share what the Lord has put on your heart and to whom you share it. But when the time was right, everybody jumped on board with it. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Do you want to build a better life? Devote yourself to prayer, but also to planning. As the saying goes, you can't do it without God, but God won't do it without you. If you missed part of today's teaching or if you'd like to hear it again, visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. The song Route 66 by Bobby Troop captured the heartbeat of a generation that dreamed of traveling the open road on US 66 from Chicago, Illinois to Santa Monica, California. Get your kicks on Route 66. Get your kicks on Route 66 became the rally cry and part of the song's popular lyric. 
If reading the 66 books of the Bible was like a Route 66 road trip across America, people might do more than casually flip through the best-selling book of all time. That idea captured my heart and inspired me to write a book called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, making the Bible's story accessible to a new generation of people. Get your kicks on the biblical Route 66. Join me on The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Ron's new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, is now available as a two-volume set covering the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. For a gift of $50 or more, request your copy of the set. When you order the print books, you will also get unlimited access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The Digital Library contains 66 video sermons, 66 audio messages, 66 downloadable sermon notes, and eight eBooks. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible makes a great addition to any home library. Request both volumes today at somethinggoodradio.org. Now, here's Ron with a preview of tomorrow's message. I have a question for you today. Are you a giver or are you a taker from Tekoa? It's, it's, just, it's just right there in the text. Great leaders understand that it takes a wide range of people to build a better life for all and they get the right people on board and match their time and their talent to the right task. It's one for all and all for one God glorifying outcome. Building a better life takes prayer and planning. It also takes people. Join us next time for Something Good when Dr. Ron Jones shares part two of his message, Nehemiah, Building a Better Life. For Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.